we have to do something with the suicide shifts because to work 12 hours and be off eight and work 12 hours, I said that's a safety risk. Imagine being an employee in here that has not had a day off for five months. That is the reality of what you're seeing. Just like we've been saying, please take COVID seriously. I can't say it enough. Enough people have died. We don't need any more deaths. And it absolutely makes sense for many Americans to get vaccinated. I believe in science. I believe in the science of vaccination. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I'm Jared D.H. Sexton. Here, as always, with the most valued co-host, the top <laughs> of the top, the most of the most, Nick Houseman. Yes, I'm a good uh, value. <laughs> you're, you, you have you have wins above replacement, right. is nice. what I would say. All right. And, and, and yeah, a lot of wins above replacement. Uh, we're here today, uh, as usual, to sort of sort through a lot of the uh, cultural and political bullshit. Uh, and there is a lot to deal with today. And we have to start with some really troubling signs, uh, both with the coronavirus pandemic, but also with our economy, which, Nick, I don't know if you know, but our economy is basically a toppling top at every given moment that looks like it's just getting ready to uh, fall apart. And what we're looking at now, uh, and this is a strange thing, and I don't know about you, Nick, but it's like I've been paying attention to what's been going on with the Delta variant. Um, it, of course, is uh, it spreads easier. Uh, and on top of that, like we're seeing our numbers go up uh, mm-hmm. by over 100 percent. On top of that, we're seeing people who have been vaccinated who are getting sick simply because there's more of this stuff out there. There are more chances to catch it. Uh, Out in L.A., I believe they're starting to get back to mask mandates at this point. Uh, And today, the U.S. economy dropped 700 points in the Dow because of rising worries about the Delta variant. And I don't know about you, this feels like the deadliest, most awful deja vu imaginable. Uh, It does. Well, it's scary because there might be other variants out there beyond Delta that could get even more uh, deadly. Lambda um, sounds terrible. Lambda, yeah, I don't, I don't, I have to start terrible. studying more of my uh, Greek alphabet. I used to know all of it, but um, yeah, it's 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 sort of like the, the you know the the scenario that we've seen in the sci-fi movies where something hits the Earth and like all everybody you know it's a terrible thing. Like you kind of thought about that in the very beginning of COVID. I remember like that's but this we knew it wasn't anything like that. But but yeah, what happens? You know, we, we're maybe the next version of this can then suddenly become a little bit more like twelve monkey scenario. And now now what are we supposed to do? Um, at least we have some some sort of competent leadership that might be able to mitigate some of these things. Because I, I, I we've been railing for this since the beginning of COVID. Had Trump done what he should have done and convinced people this was a real disease and and actually shut down the the country for a solid two months in the very beginning, we would have gotten a handle on this way early. We would not have had variants. Right. We would. I don't think we would have had less people killed, less people infected and certainly more people vaccinated by now. Yeah. At the risk of uh, being redundant here, just to get everybody on the same page, um, variants happen as these diseases spread. And as they grow and they go through the population, they evolve very, very quickly. And what has happened in this case and. I I, want to put this in large scope before we start narrowing down in America and American politics. What happens is that or what has happened is we live in a system where healthcare is for profit 
in most of uh, you know the industrialized world. Like other places have better healthcare systems than we have, but you still have the haves and the have-nots who do not have the same access to uh, to vaccines or treatments. Meanwhile, you have a difference between the first, second, and third world, the so-called different types of worlds that have different access to this. Um, we had a lot of medical technology companies that dragged their feet on making this readily available because it was incredibly profitable for them. On top of that, I don't know if everybody remembers it, we had a complete jackass of a president who had no interest in telling anybody the truth about COVID or doing anything to actually curb it. He actually saw it as a really useful biological weapon against blue states and Democrats. And Jared Kushner, by the way, helped him with that. And they should both be in jail for that. But I digress. So what happens is because we live in this current circumstance, these variants have been allowed to grow and strengthen. And what happens is the same thing that always happens. This system of inequality and exploitation bites us in the ass. You can sit here and say, like, we should be the strongest country or we should do this or it's ours and we shouldn't give it around. And now we're in a situation where you have this Delta variant that uh, is already wreaking havoc. You have the Lambda variant, which, I mean, my God, if you read the description of that, it sounds like a horror movie. And you start looking at all this stuff and you realize we could have wrapped this up. We really could have. But we have reached a point of inequality and exploitation where we didn't act. And now we're going to deal with the repercussions. And I don't know about you. I feel so strange navigating this thing. Like I've, I've been traveling. I've been seeing people. I'm still being safe. I'm still taking precautions. But it feels so strange right now. This whole thing is just very odd. Yeah. Well, the whole environment of this of the world in, in 2021, where we are now, feels odd and we're uncertain. And I'm not sure where we're going to go. Um, now, I suppose when you're talking about inequality, you're talking about on a global scale. How, like, I think the most one of the most ridiculous things is is that any American in any American who wants a vaccine can get a vaccine right now. Yet we have you know, billions of people across the world who can't, you know, in their countries because, you know, they just can't get enough vaccine. Uh, a buddy of mine was just in um, uh, Bulgaria and he was saying that like uh, in a lot of the different countries around there, if you get the two shot thing, you get, it might be eight or nine or 10 weeks in between shots because they don't have enough to give everybody and get every, the second one in their arms. But like, I'm not so sure that it's the inequality. If we're talking about America, that is the root of why we're not getting these vaccinations, right? It, it definitely feels like it's the the privileged class, a very specific part of the privileged class who has these these notions of of how evil the vaccine is, which again is because we didn't have the proper leadership that would have given us the kind of uh, uh, confidence that we need in these kind of vaccines. So a buddy of mine who's you know he's, he's an anti-vaxxer, he was, he's texting me angry texts the other day saying, you know, 99.99% of people survive this. You're going to just kill yourself by putting the disease in your in your arm. And I didn't want to try and explain to him that, that that's what a vaccine is, is actually is the is the virus, whatever. Nonetheless, the number is wrong. So I just want to share this, because if you have somebody, you know, it's going to say ninety nine point nine percent of the country of the people who got it um, uh, don't die. Let me just point this out that uh, there's a, a, t a tweet from John Whitehouse who said on Twitter, if that was the case, 
then that means that there's there's our deaths are one in a hundred thousand, which would mean that to get to six hundred thousand deaths that we already know and verified, which is probably a low number by the way, uh, we would have needed by hit by that math almost sixty billion positive tests. Pet tests. He's pretty sure, as am I, that we don't have sixty billion people in America, right? So that tells you that the, whatever numbers they're thinking of the, what the real death rate is, is a lot higher. I'm talking about a thousandfold on what they're thinking it is. And that, that should definitely change your mind if you're talking about getting the vaccine. But, and, and, but here we are. That's easily the most math that has taken place on the Muckrake podcast. Sorry. <laughs> I am a liberal arts professor. I glazed over. I got oh, no. I got the gist of it. But I... All right. Yeah, well, I, well, really, the gist of it would be, okay... Even if it's 99% versus 99.9, like a, like a, like a one percentage difference, that is hundreds and thousands of people uh, that are dead because of that. It's a huge difference on the order of a hundred times. So you can't be so you know you convince your mind that like 99.9% is what that is when when it's not. I don't, does that make sense? Well, yeah, it does. It does. And I think what we also need to focus in on is that all of this has happened because of demographic marketing like going back to trump and the disinformation right like trump somebody would come in and be like hydroxychloroquine he's like yeah inject it whatever good luck everybody right and meanwhile of course we had fox news that was every single day spreading lies about the coronavirus which by the way was not just for political purposes because they wanted trump to get reelected. they did not want it to be a big giant crisis but also they didn't want to mess with the economy they wanted people to go to work and survive, you know, go to work and maybe they'll get coronavirus. Maybe they won't. But they didn't want everybody to get spooked about it. And they kept playing these political games with it. And now we've reached a point where Fox News and, and I, I really want to say this because we all know it, but we don't say it. Donald Trump was president when the initiatives were put in place to make this, these vaccines. In one breath, he will tell you, I made these vaccines. It's the greatest thing anyone's ever done. And in the next breath, he's like, I don't know if these vaccines are safe. You know what I mean? Like there's the, And we talk all the time about this absolutely inherently illogical shit. Fox News has found that what they're going to do is they're going to say the exact opposite of whatever CNN or MSNBC says or whatever so-called liberal media says. So they've been pushing this anti-vax stuff left and right. Don't go out and get it. Hey, by the way, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There might be tracking devices in there. It's the mark of the beast type bullshit that, you know, book of revelation stuff that they keep pushing to let you know how dangerous of a situation like that we're on the precipice of right now with the Delta variant, they've started running segments talking about the need to get vaccinated. Like it's the moment where all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's right. At any moment, this could crash everything. This 700 point drop tells us and reminds us. And again, Americans have our attention span sucks, man. It's just so bad. And we just keep making the same mistakes. It reminds us, oh, yeah, that's right. There is an economic consequence of having a massive pandemic. So a lot of people today, I think, got a wake up call, which is this economy is a top that is constantly looking like it's going to fall over at any given moment. And if you keep fucking around with this, it's almost assured that that's coming. I have a, uh, an idea here for you. Um, is it fair to say that Fox and the, or the right itself um, treats winning back the White House and controlling the government uh, as a life and death biblical you know, imperative? Right? Safe to say that. Absolutely. Right? 
if if they don't if they don't win the midterms, it's the apocalypse. If they don't win back the White House, it's the apocalypse. Every single thing is a constant apocalyptic nightmare if they don't get their way. Absolutely. So how far of a stretch is it to think that? I mean, I know that we're going to have to acknowledge that they they've been pushing vaccines vaccines a little bit during the daytime, Fox, but. But but I'm wondering. Oh, yeah. Daytime and nighttime Fox huge. is different. Yes, right? yes. Uh, huge. So I'm wondering though if in the back of their mind, the front of their mind, in whatever the space is in between the, their their ears, um, if they think, you know what, if we get a bunch of people to die, that'll reflect really poorly on Biden. It's really a big political problem. And you know what, if we get the economy to crash, that really hurts Biden. They're all vaccinated. Everybody who goes on TV, Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity. I mean, hell, Donald Trump's vaccinated. Mm-hmm. All of these assholes are vaccinated. They understand what this thing is. And you're exactly right. Like, these people will sit there and they will strategize and they will happily sacrifice people at all given times, which sounds horrific, but it is horror. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and what are they railing about now? They're railing about these Gestapo Nazi people going to door to door and forcing you to get vaccinated. Right. That's their big boogeyman thing right now. And by the way, you know what we haven't talked about is the fact just very, very quickly in Arizona where they rigged the entire recount investigation. They couldn't find any fraud. First of all, second of all, they're already talking about going door to door asking people who they voted for. So, again, it's always projection. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and it is that type of thing. Like it is that that sort of Machiavellian idea behind it all, which is that people are sacrificable. Rights are sacrificable as long as they get their way. And what we're seeing right now with Fox News at any given day is just a lot of people trying to pull out these strategies to win back power and influence. Right. And then, you know, be, people's lives be damned. They, that That's sort of the scorched earth that we've seen on that side for so long. And if we're ever looking because, you know, you can criticize the left as much as you like. Democrats are, you know, have a lot of issues. But they don't seem to want to kill people, right? Like that seems to be a line we can draw if we had to differentiate between the Democrats and the Republicans. Well, I have to tell you that if a Democratic administration had a conversation between the president and his son-in-law and his son-in-law and the son-in-law told the president, the Democratic president, that it might score him some political points to let blue states suffer a pandemic and die and have to deal with the political consequences. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think they would be done talking about it now. I'll just yeah. say that right. there is a difference. ventilators though, man, everybody had a ventilator who needed one. Um, you know, the funny thing about that, I mean, it's actually the opposite of funny is that, well, you know, if you got as bad as needing a ventilator, you're probably going to die anyway. I hate even thinking about that time period. Yeah. Like, I, I have to tell you, I don't know how you navigate it or how our listeners navigate it. Like, watching these numbers go up and watching the difference between what I'm reading in one place and what I'm reading in another and the varying type of of, uh, of, of sources and, and information. And, like, th- that trauma of living through the early days of coronavirus with Donald Trump as president of the United States of America – um, I'm still not okay from that. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I still feel 
like something from that. There's still remnants of it. You saying that made me feel very viscerally aware of how I felt during those press conferences and during the lies and all of that. And now I'm sitting here watching this Delta variant thing happen. And like, I don't know about you, but I don't really trust anybody at this point. Do you know what I mean? Like I'll listen to epidemiologists and I'll listen to experts, but it just feels like at any given time, like people are willing to sacrifice lives to not mess with the economy. And, and, and to know that our economy is so fragile right now, it really brings to the forefront of, of, of the question, which you asked this before we went on the air. The question is, are they going to shut things down again? Like, are we going to are we going to see a moment like and can I trust that they would shut things down again if it got to that? Because other countries are having that conversation right now, and I don't feel like America has even started talking about that. Right. Well, it's the summer. We need to be able to have our barbecues and go out and do whatever. But you know, I, like I said to you before, when I drove to Chicago from L.A. in October, in the you know in the height of the pandemic, there was nary a mask to be seen between L.A. and Chicago. So that's what you have to remember is like whatever bubble that we all live in where we see people masking up really wasn't the reality for anybody for all this time. And in, in, in fact, you know, what we the videos that we see are probably the more accurate depiction of the people who are harassing mask wearers and get this, you know, sort of primal rage from seeing that. And it's the virtue signaling, whatever they're, uh, you know, uh, getting from that, which is the projection and whatever. Um, and perhaps even the guilt that they're not actually, you know, considering uh, everyone part of a community that they have to take care of each other. Uh, this is the problem. And then that actually opens up to the whole notion of the global community that we live in, where we I, I know there was reports a while back that we were going to send a lot of our extra vaccines to other countries. But all I can tell you is that from what I've seen in other countries, they're still so woefully short um, that uh, that we're not helping enough. And especially when we have people here who won't get the vaccine anyway, willingly. I mean, it's just mind boggles to me, mind boggling to me that we're in that situation now where we're going to we're going to have 30 percent of the population who simply will never get the vaccine. Well, and the pandemic, just to, to bring that whole thing around, the pandemic has made clear like large problems that have been with us for a very long time. We would not have had the problems that we had if we had a better health care system. We would not have the problems that we have if there was a more global community where people took care of each other and shared information and resources. Like you can sit here and say, take care of Americans first all you want. A pandemic doesn't give a shit about that. A pandemic doesn't care what flag you're waving or what national anthem is playing. What ends up happening is everything comes back around. It always does. And the route that we have been on, both with capitalism and nationalism and this individualism where we don't consider other people or care about other people or, or you know, look into actually helping people, it bites you in the ass. It always does. And like, you know, one of the things that, that we talk about on here is if you look at American history, America, in order to make the world safe or to fight communism or whatever – has gone into one country after another, overthrown a leader, put in some sort of a puppet, and guess what happens? 
It doesn't matter who you put in, you eventually have to deal with the fallout from it. There's always a reaction to it. You put it, like, you you sat there and you helped Saddam Hussein. Guess what? You're going to have to go fight two fucking wars against him, right? Mm-hmm. Manuel Noriega could not be reached for comment. <laughs> and so what, what ends up happening is all of these things that these people have done have put us in a position where we are now dealing with a very real problem that is manifested because of all of the decisions that have been made. And we need to look at it that way and understand it. And that's the only way that we're actually going to fix this thing, is if we start viewing ourselves as part of a global community. Well, I'd also say we we need to kind of actually, may I use the word critically examine uh, our what we do? Cancel. Because legislated out of existence. I know that you say we have to we have to consider ourselves part of a global community. Yes, but I also think we need to be self-reflective and understand what the mistakes have been over the last 250 years, whatever how long this country has been around, uh, in order to yeah, then I progress mean, into that. I got called a Maoist yesterday and a communist for saying that. I had people trying to get me fired yesterday because I said that Americans need to relearn their history. And everyone's like, oh, look at the communists putting us in camps. And it's like that, simply saying that we need to learn from our mistakes at this point, has become tantamount to treason. We've had these camps that they're so afraid of, right? That, yes. That's part of the point. Um, numer- a couple different times. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it, it's it's crazy to me. Now, what, what do you think? That, what's the Venn diagram between anti-vaxxers and Trumpers? It's a circle, right? You know, here's the thing about that is when it really comes down to why a person would choose to get a vaccine or not choose a vaccine, the people who are on the anti-vax part of that, there are some communities who have been yeah. really screwed over and they've been experimented on. Uh, you know, I don't know if you read American history, but some people uh, were told that their syphilis was being treated and it wasn't, you know, like there are people who do not trust authority for very good reason. And then you have a bunch of white people. By the way, I don't I don't know if you're paying attention to this. I'm sure everybody is. People are losing their minds out there. Like, I mean, like whether it's right. at sporting events, it's a hot one. Uh, the hot weather, right? We don't know how to deal with each other. People are trying to jump out of airplanes. Road rage incidents are out of control. Uh, we also have, I, I, man, I watched this video of like these two women getting into it at like a Victoria's Secret. And it was just like to like a person having a total breakdown on camera. Like people are not handling all of this well and so for some people the anti-vax stuff is a manifestation of that and then there's other people that it's a political identity and their allegiance to trump and this right-wing idea is putting all of us in danger it's not and, and and i know that it this is something i really need to put out there it was a political issue Right. It was like part of your identity was I'll wear a mask or I won't wear a mask. I'll get vaccinated or I won't get vaccinated. It brings back to the forefront. If those people aren't getting vaccinated, you're still getting screwed. They're kindling on a fire and like it's going to get worse. Like even if you disagree on even the basis of reality, you are still going to suffer the consequences of these people not doing it. It, it just so happens we live in an ecosphere that works that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I know a guy uh, who was over at my house the other day who said, like, you know, his, his brother get, got the vaccine and then rushed to the hospital and died. You know, 53 years old, whatever it was. 
And it's like, you know, I, I, am I supposed to blame him for like refusing now to get the vaccine because he's convinced that it killed his brother immediately? Like, I, 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 there's probably some more details, and it probably got gets fuzzy, and we don't know the doctors. He didn't didn't seem clear on what the doctors were saying to him. Um, but, but like, I, that's the other thing. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm sympathetic to that. I don't know what else you're supposed to say. If you have a family member that dies a week or two after you get the vaccine, like, you know, you might think that, you, you know, like. I don't know if, if the kid, if your kid was acting normal and then gets a, a, a measles and the mumps, whatever, and then develops autism, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I can't feel anger towards people like that or, you know, dismiss those people. So it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. And I, I guess I have to hope that uh, the number of those people is so small that it doesn't increase the likelihood of getting different variants. But you still have a moment where it's like, you know, those people are not going to get the vaccine. And I and I, I don't know what to say about those. Well, and I, I do have to say and, I, and to go ahead and transition out of this and into to the next thing we need to talk about. I really wish that Joe Biden would discover the bully pulpit like he needs to take the office of the presidency and like, sure, he'll do press conferences and, you know, he'll do this. There needs to be a full court press on so many things. Yeah. You know what I mean? There needs to be a, a there needs to be a force that's happening, whether or not it's getting infrastructure passed, whether or not it's getting people vaccinated. Uh, I don't know if that's in commercials. I don't know if that's in events. I don't know if that's in building coalitions of people who will come and tell people to do it. But like so, for instance, um, one of the things right now that is uh I'll be honest with you, Nick, it's infuriating me, which is um, for those who haven't been paying attention, uh, there's this massive strike right now with Frito-Lay, uh, which is part of Pepsi company. And at Frito-Lay, you have just an absolutely untenable situation where employees are being forced to do mandatory overtime, to work six to seven hours, upwards of like 83 uh, hours of, of work a week. And I, I have to tell you to go ahead and put my cards on the table. I know people, people that I love, people in my family, people that I care about, they're working six to seven day weeks. They, their, their, their bodies are giving out. And by the way, it has a terrible effect on your mental health. Um, and, and, and I know I can hear people right now who are like, aren't there laws on the books? Absolutely, there are laws on the books. The problem is that oversight in this country has been intentionally hollowed out. It's been made to the point where, like, they're not checking on this stuff. Or the employees, because of precarity, they're they're terrified of losing their jobs. And by the way, in this country, you got to have a job to get health care. Don't, uh, don't undermine that. Don't undermine that. You quit your job, chances are you're going to lose your health care. And the economy is so fucked up at this point that people are just doing it. And they're like, I guess I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. This is a situation where, you know, it's like Reagan with the uh, air traffic controllers. And for yeah. those who don't know it, uh, the air traffic controllers in the 1980s went on strike. And Reagan told them that they would be fired if they didn't go back to, to work and systematically undermine labor unions. I would love. Right now, if Joe Biden discovered the bully pulpit and said, we're not going to have Americans working six to seven days a week, 83 hours a week, this is bullshit. It needs to stop. Some people need to really step up on this thing. And I think that I think throwing your weight behind this and actually taking a stand on this could change labor relations in this country. And that is one way that we could possibly turn this country around. For sure. I mean, the first you know, statement I have when I looked at this was like, well, where the fuck is their union? 
because how do they get so deep into this without any union representation before? But in case you're wondering, if you're one of those people out there that like wants to disparage unions and say they're terrible, this is why we have them. Because before we had unions, everybody worked this way. This is what the sweatshops looked like in New York City for uh, immigrants all those years. Their kids worked next to them. You know what I mean? Like, it was an entire family in your sweatshop. And occasionally, because there were no safety recommendations and no safety protocols, your place would catch on fire and everybody would die. Or there would be a mine cave in and it would kill your entire family. That's what happened before unions and, and labor fought to get these regulations in place. And now they've just been destroyed. Yeah, and by the way, it's Reagan again. So what you, I like what you said, how you brought him in there, how he... Not only did he disparage, um, you know, the government. Remember the, the the seven most frightening words are the government's here to help you, whatever that is. And he also destroyed the notion of unions. It's really impressive what he did to change our country in this very short eight years. Um, and as a result, I, I, I hear this from a lot of the conservative people who are who rail against, you know, teacher unions are the same thing. These are vital, you know. Now listen, in in the best of times. The problem ends up being that unions can end up negotiating these amazing terms that when the economy does go bad, it makes it really untenable sometimes for the, the, uh, for the companies to handle what they agree to pay when it was going really well. But that's okay because that's when you have negotiations and we kind of go back and forth and we uh, you know, adjust depending on how the economy works. But the point of it is, is that they can now protect the fucking workers. So they're not yeah, in, in danger of dying while they work and they're not overworked the way they used to be. So it's disgusting to me to see that that, you know, this is in the name of capitalism, right? We must work because we have a, there's a bottom line for this quarter and the next quarter has got to grow again over the next quarter. And we, it, the only way to do that is to force these workers to work that much more. Um, you know, I thought we were seeing a thawing of this year and I thought things were changing as less people were going back to work after getting a little bit of a bailout for the COVID thing and realizing they don't need to be treated that way. But I, I suspect it could, the, the boomerang could, be, could very well be worse going into the future. Well, a lot of the people and, and to go ahead and put this on, on everyone's radar, what's happening in this situation is you have a lot of captive employees. So like, OK, so let's talk about like post NAFTA America. You start getting rid of all the factories. You start getting rid of all the industry. Suddenly you have places like my hometown where everything shuts down. So all of a sudden you have a town that doesn't have any employment outside of McDonald's, Wendy's, Walmart. Right. Well, maybe they'll go over to the next town. Guess what? They now have a 20, 25, 30 minute drive into work every single day and you start get, getting treated like shit. You have no alternatives. Are you just going to quit? You know, if you can't find other employment, if you can't find a place to make your money and actually stay afloat. And almost all of these people are one paycheck away from absolute ruin. And that's what the employers want. They want people who are in debt and who are one paycheck away from being ruined because they can pay them less. They can work them harder. And so what has happened is exactly what you're saying. They need they and, and all of these places, by the way, are profiting hand over fist. And so the question then becomes, oh, are we going to hire more people? And then the answer is. No, no, we, we work the people. We have more than that we're making more. Like you're not going to give money over there, which is why trickle-down economics doesn't 
worked. It never worked. But the way that this country uh, turned itself around, and I'm talking around like the progressive age, back when they said, guess what? Our, our kids are not going to work in mines anymore, right? We're not going to employ little children to snake their hands into the machinery, right? You know, and, and risk being killed and maimed. We're not going to do that anymore. And labor unions made that possible. And for anybody who doesn't know this about American history, that didn't happen easily. The, 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 the people who, who run these factories and these corporations, they weren't like, yeah, absolutely, that's a good point. They brought in troops. They murdered them. Look this stuff up. They had the National Guard go out and mow them down with machine guns. They had wars in the street to get down to a 40-hour work week, to get the weekend that we all take for granted. And eventually what happens is they were betrayed. They were totally betrayed. They went into World War II. They stopped striking. After World War II, they started striking again immediately when they had leverage and power, and they got screwed over by the powerful. And then you get, of course, into the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, and eventually Ronald Reagan is there to like hit them with the hammer and put them out of their misery. Now, all of a sudden, you've reached the point where people are being exploited, and, and it's this Frito-Lay place. Someone fucking died. And while they died on the floor, somebody had to come over and replace him on the line. Like, that's not humanity. That's not at all the type of system that I want to live in. And if you if you care about making this country better, we have to start caring about this shit. And we have to start caring about people who are being exploited like this. Uh, I, I mean, you said it better than I did. And um, it's, it's amazing that we, here's the thing. It's like. We're talking about prog progressing our country, moving upward and onwards, but we're still doing it. We're, we're still seeing this shit. We're still seeing people dying on the factory floors and being worked like this in violation of what the law is supposed to be. Uh, it, it's, you know, that's why it doesn't feel any better, right? Like, okay, Biden wins. Trump is not in the elect, you know, in the white house anymore, but like, I don't feel any better. You, you know, look at the mass shootings that are going up. You mentioned like all the tumultuousness going on in the summer and the, and the you know, the heat is a thing, by the way. It's something about the sure. heat and the moon and whatever makes people insane. Uh, you did. You actually, speaking of Biden, though, you know, we were talking about like, well, what do you do to coerce and use your bully, bully pulpit to get some things done? You get you think about like LBJ, right? And how he got the Civil Rights Act passed. Well, you know, we don't need to look that far back. We can go to Trump, right? Trump clearly coerced a number of these senators to back him. You have to wonder, well, you know, now do you want Biden to go to the same extremes? Like, do we have to wonder what Lindsey Graham, uh, what he put him through to get him on board? Because it, I don't know. At this point, maybe we do. Maybe Biden's going to have to do the same thing on the, on the Democratic side for their senators to twist their arm and dredge up something that they don't want found out. I don't know, because that, that was the only explanation I came up with how Trump got his guys in line. Well, one of the big problems here, and by the way, I want to give everyone practical advice very, very quickly. And, and you know, we, we're very good at diagnosing the problems and predicting future problems. I want to also start sprinkling in some practical advice. First and foremost, it, like you have to start talking with other people you work with. I don't care what line of work you're in. You need to have conversations about how you're being treated. You need to have conversations about how much you're getting paid because they use the siloing and alienation 
these jobs to keep you from comparing notes and getting on the same page. People have to start doing that, and people are terrified to do it. And telecommuting has made it to where, like, you never even see people that you work with. You know what I mean? You have to make a concentrated effort to come into a consciousness with the other people that you work with. Otherwise, you're just going to get rode out. And that's what unions used to be. It was the place where you could meet and talk and compare notes. That shared space has been gotten rid of. So talk to people that you work with and, and develop trust between each other. What I will say, though, and I think you're exactly right. Trump was one of those situations where he put the fear of God in the Republican Party. Some of them wanted to lick his boots and other people were afraid of the boot. Right. And then they licked the boot because they were afraid of the boot. One of the things that has happened and one of the reasons we've reached this point in this country is because the political parties have carved up the electorate. And by the way, thank you, Richard Milhouse Nixon, who created this. Before Nixon, presidents and politicians wanted to reach out. They wanted to find more voters. Here's what I'm going to do. If you vote for me, here are the future things that are going to get there. Richard Nixon was like, fuck that. I don't like people. I only want the number of people I need to get elected. The Republican Party engineered that and pioneered it, and the Democratic Party followed very closely behind. So we now have reached this point where the turkey is carved up, and it's a very specific carved up. Well, guess what? You don't have to live that way. That is a mindset, right? So here is the thing. If you start telling Americans you're being exploited— you're not being paid enough. You're being worked too hard. Guess what? Some of the anti-vaxxers, some of the Trump supporters, some of those people that right now are locked into that mindset, um, that's their reality. You know what I mean? Like I have to assume, and I don't, I don't, I don't mean to make assumptions about this. This Frito Lay place is in Kansas. I have to assume that there are some people who drive to work to this Frito Lay place. And they have some Trump bumper stickers. They have some fuck Joe Biden bumper stickers. Yeah, but guess what they're thinking? About? And, and they're listening to Lee Greenwood in the parking lot. And you know why I know that? Because these are my people, Nick. These are the people I grew up with that I love and I care about. And I have to tell you something. Those people with Trump stickers, those people with fuck Joe Biden stickers that are, are on strike right now. If you start telling them that they're on the right side of this issue they might be interested in some unions. You know what I mean? They might be interested in some left-wing ideals. It goes back. Materialism and your conditions in your life are what make you do things. It's what I said whenever Biden got elected. Put some money in the Midwest to put up uh, 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 solar panels and, and wind turbines, and you're going to see a lot of people who care very quickly about green energy. Right. And this is a situation where you can point out what's happening, but you have to define the reality, which Democrats are terrified of doing. Well, it sounds great, except for the fact that so many people will vote in not in their interest anyway. But it's more of an education thing and more of an exposure to information versus in your gut, paycheck in your face, right? Job conditions all around you, which is right, a little bit more penetrating and a little bit more affecting, I would imagine, versus just like the ideology that's swirling around the top of their head, around their heads that they don't necessarily pick up on. So I would hope that that would be the case. Well, and this is really, I can't believe we haven't talked about this on this podcast, but it's a really important thing. What? One of the inherent contradictions of MAGA 
of Trumpism. And one of the things that we have to do if we want to win, if we want to change this country, is we have to start looking for the contradictions of these people because the Republican base and structure is all fucked up. It makes no sense. It's inherently contradictory. So think about what we just talked about. So we have this struggle at like a Frito-Lay plant, right? Do you know who supports Trump at that plant? Some of the poorest workers, managers, and, and the administrators, right? Because it's all about, on one hand, telling poor white people that, you know, we didn't do to you what you're upset about. Those people over there did it. Go get them. And who's telling them that? Their managers, the people who booked private jets to go and try and run into the Capitol. So all of a sudden, if you start talking about the issue between them, you can start severing that, that bind. You're not going to do it with cultural issues. You're not because they speak in that. They speak about conservatism and the way things are changing and, oh, they're going to come and change the country. But if you start talking economically, that is the weak spot of Trumpism and MAGA because they don't have an answer for that. It is a tiered group and you have two groups that are inherent contradiction to each other. And if the Democrats start seizing that or if the left starts seizing that, you could see shit change in a hurry. Well, I mean, I, I think we've certainly talked about the inherent, um, you know, uh, clashing of ideas in the same mind uh, that don't seem to mesh well at all. Uh, I've often described that as like the torque that must exist that makes them so upset with things because they know that like they can't have both of these ideas competing at the same time. You know, it, it also goes down to the thing where like Trump keeps railing on these on these awful uh, releases about the, the like you know the people he hired and how bad they were. And yet no one's going to say, well, you hired them, right? You're the one who hired them. You're the one who's supposed to vet them and do it. But we don't, the, the Trump supporters aren't going aren't gonna to criticize Trump for that or see that in the bad light, right? They just want to blame and put something on the, you know, on the incompetence of somebody else. Um, it's, a, it's a weird world to live in, right? Because you would think, you know, uh, it, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with like the cultural war of, uh, you know, of, the religious right and and these some sort of familial values that they put you know that they think that the left has you know uh, a, a vendetta against and so as a result like again I, I I like what you're saying I wish we could peel off enough of those voters maybe it's enough just to peel off enough of those voters to win an election but it would be so nice to finally once and for all have a majority of people understand what the reality is and how how ridiculous the, the Republicans are. Well, I just want to sketch out to people and we've touched on this in the past, but I want to make it very clear how. The Republican Party works. The way it works is you have the wealthy white elite in this country, right? The wealthiest, the most powerful white people, uh, most of them are libertarians. They're not even actually Republicans, right? It's like the Kochs, right? And then you have down here the working class white people who are pissed off about being left behind in a post-NAFTA America. Meanwhile, you have an entire constellation of think tanks and media strategists who sit around coming up with tasty, like scary stories that they can feed the people at the bottom to go ahead and take the blame from the wealthiest elite and move it towards black people, immigrants, liberals. Meanwhile, in the middle, the Democratic Party, for the large part, is an administrative 
class. It's people who went to college. They're the people who are like, you know, they're middle managers in a lot of ways, or they're tech people, or they're teachers. You also have, of course, unions, and you have labor people, right? And and on top of that, the, the biggest part of it, it that now is represented is, is people of color, these vulnerable populations who are getting blamed for all this shit. That's all camouflage. The blame that they're getting is not real. The blame that labor unions are getting aren't real. The administrators, the people who get educated, that's not real. The people who are the angriest and part of MAGA are being sold a lie. They're being sold an intentionally manipulated, created story. CRT, Mr. Potato Head. Oh, you can't read Dr. Seuss to your kids anymore. America's changing. And that story is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. And it's supposed to keep us from talking about things like the fact these people are being made six to seven days a week, 83 hours a week to work and sacrifice their bodies and die faster and make less money. And that is the story that they'd use to to just completely keep that obfuscated. I, I was almost going to just suppose the 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 uh, the the scenario where they, they actually win everything and they get every agenda they want, every piece of their agenda done. We know that would never happen because they don't govern. They can't. They had the control of everything, and they Look couldn't get they it did. done. Look what they did. They did one. Well, they dismantled government for profit. Is what they mostly did. Right. But the big thing that they passed one thing, and it was a tax cut for the wealthiest Americans, and that was it. Right. That but, was the but, one thing they were but, able to but do. But think about what that actually does. Besides putting money back in the in the wealthy Americans' pockets. If you allow that to happen over enough time, the, the government will just completely go bankrupt and shut down. Like it'll fall apart. We will not have a government anymore. And they wouldn't care. They wouldn't acknowledge that. They they would just simply say, "Oh, well, next quarter it'll will pay it'll pay for itself." Like that. They'll never until the moment when it completely fails and no one shows up to work anymore and the and the buildings fall down. That is what they'll say. That that is what's so crazy about this whole thing is that I don't even think that they've even thought this whole thing through, you know, like trickle down economics, for instance, if you just play that out, look at the graph, you know, we, we have, yeah. we, we have this uh, interesting report from MIT from 1972 that accurately, oh, I don't know how accurate it is, but it predicts the fall of civilization basically within the next, you know, hundred years. So much of what they were saying is true because they, they look at the graphs and they, they draw them out further and further out to see where they would hit. And you're talking about pollution and, and pro productivity and wages and all these different things. At some point, it's so untenable that the whole thing will have to collapse. Food uh, output, it will collapse. You know, pollution, all these and population growth. Uh, it, it, they haven't been wrong yet in these, what, how many years now? In the almost 50 since uh, they came out with the study. Um, so I, I don't see any reason to think that, like, you know, unless something major happens, they will be accurate within the next, you know, 100 years. Well, that's not how capitalism works. Capitalism is not about long-term planning. It's about pushing it to the limit until it falls apart. Like in 1972, MIT releases this. And by the way, people should read it. It's a fascinating thing. And like everything that they predicted is right there. And it goes back to the predictions that we make on this show and come real because it's all there. You know what I mean? Like just to go ahead and watch this thing progress down, it's – I about said logical, but it's illogical. The entire process of capitalism and particularly hypercapitalism is illogical. It's destructive. It cannot go on forever. I want to go ahead in the 1970s and bring up another report. In 1977, Exxon became aware of global climate change. 
That's when Exxon found out, which was years before most of the world. They had the inside scoop because, of course, they study the climate. Of course, they see what they're doing. And they sat around and they were like, wait, you're telling me that global climate's going to change in 2020 and 2030? I mean, that's that's a long ways off. So what we need to do is get our profit right now and also figure out a strategy for the next 10 to 20 years of going after these scientists who are going to warn people. That way people won't listen to them and we can continue to profit because we need to profit. We always have to grow our profit, 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 profit. And eventually, by the way, you're going to start running out of oil. So we're going to make more profit. And it's just that mindset. You have to keep pushing the pedal to the metal. And that goes along with this, with like something like with this Frito-Lay place or with these factories, they are going to push their employees to die for their bodies to give out, for their mental wellness to fall apart. And guess what that's going to do? That's going to cost them money. That's going to hurt their bottom line because you can't work people like this. They start to fall apart, but that's not the mindset. It's today and tomorrow, and then everything after that is just totally in the ether, and uh, I don't know if the economy falls apart, we'll get bailed out, and we'll do it again. We'll uh, have a great old time. Yeah, there's that part, too, the yeah the bailout stuff. Uh, you're right. I mean, that is... It's painfully correct. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Painfully accurate what you just said and laid it out. And then the, the, the cherry on the top is, you know, like what we saw in 2008, how uh, all those companies, they let one company fail and everybody else got bailed out to the point where they're like, yeah, we don't we really don't give a shit because capitalism will just come in and save the day again. And it will not. One day it will not be able to do that. And it'll drag everybody down with us into the vortex. Uh, and, you know, I suppose the people in the 70s were thinking, well, I won't be alive. So it doesn't necessarily matter. You have to imagine this. In 1972, you picture the tumultuous you know, uh, climate we had then, politically uh, and economically. Uh, it, it makes sense that you would do a study like that then because it probably felt like it was getting toward the end of the world then. Um, and so here we are where we're right. Again, we're just we're doomed. We're doomed to repeat all the same stuff and maybe but just worse every time it boomerangs around. I don't think we're doomed. But I, I do think that it's time to start thinking about this. I think it's definitely time to start considering because, again, none of it's hidden. Like, I have to tell you, like, I'm working on the book right now. I was reading some H.G. Wells shit the other day, and H.G. Uh, Wells uh, had some ideas. And one of the things I found was H.G. Wells was like, yeah, eventually we're going to live in a place where uh, America's corporations are going to grow so large and so powerful that they're going to take over the democratic process and the economy. And we're going to have a bunch of technologists who use like, I don't know if he said computers, but I think he said technology. And these technologists are going to use technology to, uh, you know, manipulate the world markets and politics and all that stuff. He's like, yeah, it's inevitable. He wrote that at the turn of the 20th century. You know what I mean? Like I read another guy who was predicting World War II in 1902. Mm -hmm. And like all of this stuff is just very, very clearly happening. It just needs to be a thing where people put their self-interest to the side and where we start building things like class consciousness, we start building solidarity. And again, those contradictions we're talking about today, the fact that capitalism can't do this, the fact that MAGA works the way that it does, there are openings, but people need to take them and we need to, we need to work on them.
I'm truly worried that, like, let's say a, a young, charismatic politician came on the scene and started to advocate, like, saying something like, you know, this company makes uh, a billion dollars in profit every year. Let's make, let's allow them to make $750 million in a year and let's reinvest that extra money back into the workers themselves. You know what, you know what would probably happen to that guy? He would probably get killed. Don't you think? I would think that you, they would they would kill him. They would assassinate him. And you just you just described profit sharing. And guess what's been shown to work? Profit sharing. Guess what? Production goes up whenever you take care of your workers. Production goes up when they're happy. Production goes up when they have uh, holidays and vacation. Production goes up when they have great health care. Production goes up when you treat them well and you have sustained growth as opposed to cracking the whip and being like beatings will continue until morale improves. But you're exactly right. If somebody came out and said that, I mean, Bernie Sanders said that and immediately was completely rejected by Almost, you know, the entire mainstream sort of political class is being too extreme and too radical. He's now a boogeyman who, like, haunts the hallways of Washington, D.C. Anything that anybody does to try and make life better, they're like, do watch out for the socialists. Look what they're doing. We're not even talking about socialism. We're talking about managed capitalism. We're talking about how it used to be in a capitalistic system. You want to talk socialism, we can talk socialism. That's not what we're talking about. No, no. And, and, and the boogeyman and the fear like the, what they think socialism is, is, is outrageous. Uh, the notion that like the government would take over all private industry. Like, what the hell are they? I mean, it's they should just be laughed out of the room. And instead, they are, you know, they, they instill so much fear in everybody that, they, that it's true. And then they, they're out and they get to go on Fox News and talk about it all day long. It's crazy. It literally is, you know, socialists themselves, communists themselves would be looking at this and being insulted that they, they, they would use this as a fear possibility that happened here because it, it's, it was so far remotely out of the possibility of happening. Oh, it's absolutely nuts. But I have to tell you, this is how they went after unions in the first place. It was the Red Scare that allowed the unions to be destabilized and depowered because those associations and solidarity of the yeah. unions were portrayed as being socialist and communistic. So that mindset's still there. And you want to talk about Fox News. Fox News is the link between the wealthy Trump supporter and the poor Trump supporter. It is the conversation back and forth that continually changes the narrative every single yeah. day. And it's that narrative. It's anything that could possibly make your life better or the United States better is communist or socialist and dangerous. You know, I have a uh, weekender style story I can really share really quickly as you when you wrap this up. Um, I, you know, play guitar and, uh, back in the day I was, you know, used to play with a couple of women we were in a kind of a, a band, if you will. We played a benefit, uh, one of a, a number of bands that played a benefit at this bar in Chicago for the UAW striking workers in 1990, whatever that was, 94, 95. In that room, it was a big room, a couple hundred people were there. They, we all held hands in a, in a, all the way around the room and sang solidarity forever before they went on with the actual show. That was a really powerful moment. Yep. And I'm never going to forget that. Even though I might have felt a little bit weird, like I'm holding some guy's hand next to me. I don't know who he is, whatever. And we're singing, you know, this song. But I got to tell you that that is what we need, right? We need solidarity forever, certainly. But it was a powerful feeling that we don't have enough of for sure. Um, you know, maybe Hands Across America, maybe they had it right and they, they just didn't, they couldn't get enough people to do it. But um, that that was uh, something that we, that we, you know, could solve a lot of issues, I, I suppose. Well, and, and I just want to say, and again, a lot of this show is diagnosing rising fascism and the dangers in this country. I just want to tell you, like, 
what we're talking about in terms of solidarity is the answer. It's the secret. It's it's starting to trust other people and starting to share notes and finding out that because I have to tell you again, systematically, intentionally and re relentlessly, the wealthy in this country have torn us apart and told us we can't trust each other. We can't ever depend on each other. We're all economic competitors. You'll slit my throat if I don't slit your throat back and forth. That is, And by the way, Donald Trump is the embodiment of that. There's a reason why he was the president of the United States of America. But you can find power in all of this. And again, first and foremost, uh, if anybody from the Frito-Lay plant is, is listening, rock the fuck on. You all are heroes. I'm so proud of you. Anybody else who is involved in a labor struggle right now, you are doing wonderful business and necessary business. Start talking to the people that you work with. You don't have to go in tomorrow and say, let's start a strike. Go in and talk about how are we feeling about things? How do you feel about the job right now? And by the way, you're going to feel like, well, maybe we shouldn't talk. I, maybe it's real gauche to talk about how much money you've made. Well, why? Compare. Talk about what you're getting or what you're not getting. Talk about, compare notes on what is being done in your workplace. Solidarity is incredibly important. It will make your life better and it has the potential to change the world. So rock the fuck on Frito-Lay people. Uh, Godspeed. We hope, uh, we hope you get back to working five days a week. Yeah. At a good Four, rate in yeah. humanitarian conditions. And we're going to actually, the weekender uh, this week is going to kind of have some themes uh, uh, of that, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a reminder, so every Friday we have a bonus episode, The Weekender. It is a uh, more relaxed kind of a show. Uh, all you have to do to get access to that, as well as the Muckrake community, where we have some wonderful stuff like a Discord. Uh, we have conversations with people. There's a book club. All you have to do is go over to patreon.com slash podcast. It helps keep this show ad-free, uh, uh, politically independent, and we appreciate all of you. That is patreon.com slash podcast. Wait, did we tease what we were going to do? We haven't. No, we haven't told anybody yet. Are we? Are we keeping it a secret, or should we tell them? Well, right now? I'll, just, I'll just go ahead and say that one of our patrons, uh, a guy going by Hecatron, uh, suggested RoboCop that we should talk about the movie RoboCop, and I completely concur. I love RoboCop, so if people want to watch RoboCop before we talk about it on the weekend or on Friday, uh, I promise you, it's well worth your time. It's 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 not a boring movie. No, I'll buy that for a dollar. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> All right, everybody, we will be back in a couple of days. If you need us before then, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me SMH. You can find me at JY Sexton. Stay safe, everyone.